Our guest this week in the Tech Emergence podcast has spent a large portion of his life focusing on how to make machines more intelligent. From a postdoc at Stanford University to work on the famous Kalo project of DARPA's, which is essentially what spun out Siri, uh, to big company artificial intelligence applications at places like AT&T, Patrick Ellen is now the chief scientist at Loop AI Labs here in the Bay Area, and now he works on uh, getting artificial intelligences to make sense and make meaning of text, particularly unstructured text. And we talked today about the potential business applications of making sense of large swaths of unstructured text and where this is sort of making its way into industry and what the, the potential implications might be, as well as what the implications might be for the development of the nascent artificial intelligence field, this embryonic field of so many small companies like Loop AI, who are vying to become industry standards in terms of AI application. And I speak with Patrick specifically around how he thinks companies like his will have to market themselves and will have to deliver services in order to develop the current ecosystem of AI solutions to be something bigger and more established than it is today. Certainly an interesting interview on both the research and the business application and sort of market side. I hope that you guys enjoy this one. Without further ado, we're gonna roll directly into the episode. All right, so Patrick, uh, the first question that I wanted to um, run off of you here, I know that a lot of your work now with Loop AI is in dealing with gargantuan sets of unstructured text data. Obviously, there are businesses that, that have an interest in sort of using this kind of technology. What are the business use cases for that? You know, are we looking through a bunch of customer service emails and finding patterns, marketing messages and finding patterns, and how do those get translated to something meaningful? I'm interested in kind of the, the use case side of things. Yeah, so we're going through you know what's sort of been called uh, a second wave of digital transformation at this point. Like in the late '90s and the, you know, throughout the '90s, a lot of things were getting digitized and put on the webs, and paper documents went to PDF documents and and that sort of thing. Um, and this second wave of, of the new digital transformation here is uh, taking what has previously been digitized and is available to us in some sort of electronic format and turning that into a format that we can actually use, um, since a lot of it, uh, I think uh, Deloitte estimated about 80% of it, is what we would call dark data. You know, organizations have data where uh, it's easy to take that data and put it into, you know, um, some format that you can load into statistical processing software and uh, learn from it. Um, But about 80% of what organizations have is usually in some sort of unstructured text form, this this dark data. Um, And so what we specialize in is taking that dark data and shining a light on it, so to speak, uh, to turn it into um, data that that organizations can can actually use. Um, And to characterize what that data would be, it's really anything that an organization has a whole bunch of text that um, at this point they either don't know what's in that text or they have to pay a person to read it uh, in order to give them some sort of idea of what's in that. Yeah. So the various use cases on that, um, you know, a bit, one big one is customer service. You have lots of organizations that have online forums doing customer service. They've got chat sessions that they've done with customers. They have, you know, you can imagine an organization that has, um, you know, some sort of physical product that um, that has repair shops all over the world, and the repair people are making you know tickets on that, logging the customer complaints using local language, local dialect, uh, the description that the person might have made of 
you know, a sound that it was making or, you know, some sort of thing. And so the descriptions are going to be different from one repair shop to another and from one customer case to another. And so to use traditional search to try to find some kind of problem is going to be very difficult. Um, so in these cases, uh, what our technology does is it's able to look at all these multiple ways that people might talk about something and understand that this is the same concept and tie all these things together um, so that, that uh, an organization could then extract all of that stuff. And, and just, just as a sample takeaway here, Patrick, to, to kind of further the, the case that you're speaking to, um, are, are we looking at... Um, you know, okay, across all countries during X span of time, um, you know, this sort of noise was being described as coming from, uh, you know, this this particular model of our product. And, he, and we've been able to discern that across all these different languages by running this. Or, or maybe is it um, we found that our support people in this particular call center, uh, generally on the weekends, are X percent slower and that... Uh, We've been able to see what they're that they're not using the exact scripts that they were supposed to be using by, you know, looking at these patterns across time. What are some of the, those tangible takeaways that a business would then go use and, and really improve what they're doing? Right. So, so the latter case um, is more along the lines of of structured data because you know okay. things like time and location and stuff like that. That's all stuff that we can easily just load into you know uh, some kind of structured data analysis system that that already exists. But what, you, what an organization might have a very hard time um, sort of putting together is the fact that, um, you know, let's say we're talking about a fan making a noise. Uh, one place might call it a fan and another place they might call it, uh, you know, something else, whatever they call a, a fan. or something, yeah, who knows. Right, in Sydney, Australia or something. Um, some, some person might call it a whir, some might call it a whiz, some might call it a, you know, all these types of things. Oh. Um, and so to be able to go into that data and take all these sort of disparate pieces of linguistic evidence and put them together and someone says, hey, I think, you know, from all these different places and, um, you know, different linguistic sort of contexts, people seem to be talking about the same thing. You can put all those things together and get some actionable data out of it that you can do something with. Got it, got it. Okay, so, but if you were using a traditional, a system where you could just search the, the products themselves or, or the, the for individual terms, you'd say, okay, whir or whiz or whatever the, the sound is, um, you know, all right, well, you know, the whirring and the whizzing only showed up at X percent and that's pretty much the norm and so, hey, nothing wrong here. But maybe right. if you look for some of these other terms and other dialects during a certain period, you'd find that there's a, a lot of clangs and whizzes and, and you know, rumbles and whatever other people are calling them all during a certain time span and that those are sort of semantically connected or you could connect them semantically via uh, some semblance of machine learning and maybe find an aggregate trend of noise coming from machine that is a little bit more robust and complex than uh, looking for individual terms. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes, that's exactly right. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and so that's customer service. Um, you know, dark data, I, I like the term, and I, I must have, so I've read a lot of uh, what Deloitte and McKinsey and, and uh, some of Accenture and, and, and the other larger kind of consultancies have, have had to say trend-wise, in addition to the Gartners and whatnot of the world. Um, I, I, I might have missed that one, but I like the term, dark data, the, the, kind, of, the kind of thing, it sounds sort of, you know, uh, insidious a little bit. But, does. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Death Star data. Yes, the Death Star data. <laughs> But uh, but it, it's 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 apt because 
Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not manipulatable, and if, if we can't really tie it to anything, and we can't succinctly make a ton of sense of, of the patterns and, and trends within it, then, then it is dark to us in many other areas. Clearly, okay. there's, clearly, there's a lot of other business domains where such data exists. I mean, maybe this is in marketing, maybe if you're a, a, a site that, that involves, you know, oodles of content on your web presence and others, maybe there's some way of making sense of that. What are one or two other areas where there are patterns with real business value in this unstructured data that could be unearthed, um, you know, if, if, if uh, someone had a system to do so? Yeah, I mean, another big one that you could pick up is, um, you know, in the legal domain, uh, of course, uh, you know, the legal domain produces tons and tons of text documents um, and a good deal of expense in legal research comes in, you know, people, actually paralegals and lawyers having to pour through tons and tons of documents and look up cases. And of course, we have tools now. It's not as bad as it used to be, uh, thanks to like Westlaw and LexisNexis and places that have sort of created search engines on these. Um, but And then there's also this whole sort of cottage industry uh, for particular legal domains where people have actually gone through and read all the cases in some particular domain and annotated them with certain semantic markers and said, you know, here's a, here's a case about arbitration between a government and uh, you know, an international company that's about an airport you know, contract or something like that. And so they've hired people to actually go through and tag all of these. And then um, you know, companies, uh, legal organizations pay a lot of money to have access to these specialized boutique uh, you know, semantic data organizations. Oh. And then on top of that, they have to hire paralegals who understand the particular semantic tags that go with this uh, sort of boutique system. Um, yeah, yeah, system. yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of money going into, you know, both on the paralegal research side and then also on the annotating for the data side. Um, and, it, you know, it's great for these companies to be able to make money doing this. Uh, but part of what we're doing is creating a system where you wouldn't, you could sort of skip the middleman on that. You wouldn't have to have a human read and annotate all of these. And you also wouldn't have to hire a special paralegal who understands the particulars of this certain system, uh, because you would be able to ask about something in, you know, a human, um, you know, natural language query and it could go to those types of documents and, you know, come up with the relevant, uh, concepts that you're looking for. Got it. And, and that's, well, I mean, man, uh, I forget who I was speaking to about this. I think it was, uh, there's a fellow by the name of, of Dan Roth. Um, and for whatever reason, the university that he is with today, I feel like it's in Illinois, but I, I could be totally wrong about that. He's a Harvard PhD, but we had talked about um, natural, natural language fella, um, how Google, you can search for whatever you'd like on Google, but there's all these niche areas. You brought up a great one, legal where you'd like to do sort of the same bring me what's relevant search in, in that niche world, but Google hasn't exactly nailed that yet, right? They've, they've, right. Nailed, they've nailed the big picture in a very important way, but there's all these other subdomains, which like you said, have these esoteric ways of tagging and flagging things, and it's, there's so much manual process. Google's clearly eliminated that for much of the broad web search to, to a yeah. decent enough degree to which... You know, many people don't use any search engine but Google, but, but uh, you know, there's so many other subdomains that might need to be tackled there. And it sounds like, to some degree, that's what you folks are aiming to do as well. If you could take large sets of your own data 
and query it for related terms um, in a way that didn't involve all of that kind of arcane, you know, alchemy of looking at the tagging and flagging uh, stuff, then then that would clearly have, uh, you know, business value for folks with, with these large dark sets. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, the same can be said in the medical domain where, again, you have, you know, tons and tons of research papers yep. and you know, analyses papers that are being produced. And um, it's quite similar to the legal domain from sort of language understanding standpoint. Um, you know, that people have to pour through tons of research uh, in order to find the connections that they're looking for. It would be much better if you had an artificially intelligent system that could read all those papers for you. And, you know, if you are looking for a connection between, you know, two particular um, compounds and a disease or something like that, uh, and you would be able to find all the things that are related to that for you. Yeah, and, and like you said, maybe... In, in a way that's more robust than search for all papers with this term and this term, you know, at this frequency, right? Like something right. where it would be able to understand what are the related terms to that term and, and which papers tie in enough for you to probably still want to read them, even if it's yeah. not the exact same term with the same exact spelling of the exact same compound, if it's, if it's related enough. And so those are the nuances where I think there's a, uh, you know, a lot of problems yet to be solved and, and clearly, um, you know, a, a domain where dark data is rampant. Um, so that's, yeah. that's just inter interesting to sort of hear you be able to articulate it yourself and kind of get an idea of what businesses are going to be doing with this. Um, sure. Speaking of that, you're, you know, a research fella, um, you know, postdoc at Stanford and, and, you know, big DARPA projects and work with, uh, you know, some of the big research guys uh, like AT&T. We recently had uh, another fella actually from AT&T, obviously now where you were with Loop AI, but AT&T in your past, we had another guy from AT&T uh, on not all that long ago. Um, she, you've been working with, um, you know, big companies and, and very interesting projects, clearly had to sort of articulate, you know, know your science deep enough to, to get into your, you know, Stanford postdoc uh, world and, and work on the wild projects, but obviously also communicate this to people who maybe haven't gotten a postdoc because they're the guy that sells and brings in the money or they're the guy who... Um, you know, works on the front end development in some some capacity or whatever the case may be, or other sort of folks in executive roles. When you find yourself um, articulating uh, what artificial intelligence is doing, maybe how it's working, maybe what its value is going to be to executives, what have been the lessons you've had to learn about speaking that science talk to folks who are who are sort of thinking out of the individual kind of algorithms and the algebra there? And, and more on kind of the bigger business picture, what have, what have you had to learn about conveying what's happening and what the value is in AI? Sure. So much of, um, you know, I kind of came from a, a psychology background. And so a lot of what we do, even though it's algorithmic, is, is uh, from my perspective, more informed by what we know about what people do. Um, and, you know, we've, we've used this to sort of guide our technology development much more than we've used um, you know, particular, there have been revolutions in artificial intelligence recently, you know, using neural networks and deep learning and all that stuff's very exciting. Um, but, but in particular, um, I, I think a lot more about what people do when they uh, learn new concepts and how they understand new things. And so I, I kind of, you know, when I'm describing this from a layperson perspective, I say, you know, let's say, you um, decide that you want to learn about gardening. 
So you go down to the bookstore, you order from Amazon a, a book about gardening, and you open to page one, and that book introduces certain basic concepts to you. And as you are flipping the pages and reading the book, you slowly acquire these concepts that are related to the relationships in gardening, the various concepts, the names of things and stuff. Um, and you mentally build up that knowledge as you are reading along. Um, does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. So, so what we're doing um, with, with our technology is something that's very similar to that process, where you might start with absolutely no knowledge about a particular domain, like gardening. Um, you don't have anybody necessarily teaching you about it or, or giving you, um, you know, labels and things ahead of time. Uh, you're just sort of opening up to page one of the documents and reading it, and as you go along, you hopefully learn more and more about uh, what the concepts are, how they relate to each other, what the procedures are, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's really been the focus of, of our technology all along, is to create a, a concept learning system that learns from the data itself in what's called an unsupervised way. And by unsupervised, we just mean that uh, you don't have to have somebody um, create a whole bunch of labeled data to you know, get the concepts across to the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Machine is just learning by itself, like a person would, like you would if you were reading a new book. Yep, yep. Um, got it. So, yeah. so an analogy as sort of a powerful tool for uh, having people understand the processes at play here. Something that that people can tangibly wrap their minds around, right? Even if they're not yet. And and it it's, it sounds as though. Yeah, we're talking about kind of the, the, the biological or psychological mimicry being sort of the framework that you're building on. And maybe some folks, you know, it just makes sense to have that level of understanding if they want to get an overview. And so it's interesting that uh, in terms of how, how you've had to convey it on your own end. I, I know that I've chatted with uh, on the show here so many folks who um, work in the capacity of being, you know, most of whom are PhDs, who work in the capacity of being consultants for companies, whether that be eBay or smaller startups here in the, the Bay Area and otherwise, um, where, where they come in and build these machine learning applications at a larger company. And when I speak to them about, you know, talking to executives and conveying the value of these things, um, I've asked them in the past, and I think this would be interesting for you too, you know, what is it that businesses maybe don't yet um, understand around sort of what they need to be doing with their data and, and what sort of processes really are involved in making sense of uh, these large sets of data, you know, maybe some of them think it's going to be too hard, some of them think it's going to be too easy. I've heard a lot of mentions uh, from folks who, who work in this capacity with a number of businesses, big and small, that um, a lot of executive folks aren't really aware of how much sort of orchestrating and cleaning, even if it's not, you know, individually tagging and categorizing the, the data, how much cleaning and streamlining of the information there needs to be if we're going to feed it succinctly into a machine that can actually pick up patterns what do you find are sort of sometimes the gaps between what you know a business or institution would need to get something out of their data um, and, and maybe what they think it takes? Um, what have you seen as the gaps there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, to go a step back from what you were just saying, the, the, the first hurdle is sort of communicating um, the or getting people to understand the potential value that does exist in the dark data. Uh, and how much of a value that can have in terms of the return on the investment. You know, if you need to hire somebody to read 
you know, all your customer support tickets and all of your forums and all that kind of thing, um, there might not be a very good return on, on investment for, you know, the time and the money that has to be put into that. Yeah. On the other hand, if you can rent, you know, some kind of artificially intelligent appliance that's just going to sit there and do that for you in a very small amount of time and provide you with profound insights that you can then use to learn, you know, better ways to market your product to people or, you know, problems that are occurring that people are upset about um, or, or that sort of thing. Um, there's a huge potential ROI on that that, uh, um, you know, unfortunately, they, at the outset, you don't exactly know what's in the data, so it's hard to say what's going to yeah, come up. Yeah, yeah. So, there's, so there is that leap of faith that kind of needs to, to, to happen there. Um, so that's, that's definitely a, a big part of it. Um, do, do you find do you find any particular, so of course, and this makes sense across the board, I mean, any startup founder that we probably ever chatted with, I mean, you, you got to be able to set up a value prop um, and, and some kind of tangible yield that's appealing enough for someone to, to step through the front door. I mean, that, that's a must, you know, if, if you're selling, you know, uh, uh, pencil erasers, um, in addition to artificial intelligence. Uh, of course, a little bit more robust in, 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 in the case of more complex technology. Um, what are the areas that you that you find, you know, um, companies or executives maybe don't quite understand about how, how the process would work? Because obviously it's, it's not an appliance in the same sense of a microwave where if you plug it into the wall and if you insert bagels in this way, buddy, they're going to come out cooked, right? <laughs> it's not it's not like that because we're talking about something that's pretty, you know, at this point, I mean, it's, it's uh, the raw materials are so varied company to company, situation to situation, and sure. the, the machines that are crunching them are so varied. There's a thousand variations of, you know, bagel cooker toasters out there in the world. But they, they all kind of heat things that then right. heat bread that then, you know, but but in, in the AI world, there's folks with a really strong bent in the psychology side like yourself and other people that are using other approaches. How, how do you sort of, um, you know, what do you find that, because you know, I would imagine treating it like an appliance would maybe be a misconception. What do you think are some of the misconceptions around how this is going to work for us, for executives? What do they think is too complex or too simple when they're going into things? Well, I'll, I'll say that, uh, you know, after a lot of experience doing natural language processing and doing things that way, um, we, we had a great awareness of the amount of effort that usually goes into doing some kind of natural language processing task. And our yeah. primary goal in constructing this appliance was to make it as turnkey as possible without having to go through all of that, you know, sort of text massaging that people usually do. That will be an important um, part of your pitch without a doubt. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, we've, we've spent a good amount of time, you know, really uh, making things so that you can minimize the amount of effort that you have to put into, you know, just manipulating your data into some particular format. Um, basically, if you can get it into some plain text format, uh, then we'll be able to to process it. You know, things like PDFs can be a little bit complicated because yeah. uh, formats are different from one to another, and you have to do something with images and charts and all that sort of thing. Um, but in general, you know, getting getting if you can get data into some kind of text format, um, then it is pretty much a, a turnkey solution from there. You're absolutely right that that. Uh, you know, you never know what kind of, you know, what 
organizations are going to have their texts stored in and what the yeah, people are going to have yeah, to do yeah, to yeah, extract yeah. them. You know, yep. Some of it might be on the, you know, a, a DBase 4, you know, thing on some old Windows server or something that uh, they need to get it out of. Um, and, and so that's, that's definitely something that needs to be, you know, considered in terms of how much data are you going to be able to get out and, um, you know, how much effort is it going to be to, to access that data? Yeah, those, um, are, those are the variables today, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, for, for us, the just because it is an unsupervised algorithm, meaning that uh, we don't have to show it data and say, you know, this is a cat and this is a dog and blah, 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 and it just learns on its own, um, that happens a lot better when there's lots of data. And so one yes. thing that you actually have to get across to these organizations is, um, you know, you're you're only going to see good results out of this if you have enough data to actually make it, uh, you know, work the way that it should should work. Got it. Got it. okay. So, so there's a tangible takeaway. I appreciate that. So, um, you know, in in a sense of of making sense of unstructured um, information, you know, what companies and maybe that some of the companies tuned in now. I'm sure we have people in bigger business who who listen in as much as the startup crowd. Um, you know, if if you're going with some kind of an un unstructured um, uh, you know, a system that's going to work with unstructured data, shucks, you better have a whole bunch of it because, um, you know, there's going to, patterns are going to need to arise in a natural and sort of um, a way that becomes intuitive for the machine without you being able to give it over directions and we're going to need a lot. And I imagine, you know, guys like yourself who, who've who actually used the pro- the programs would, would be able to tell these kind of guys, hey, here's, with this kind of information, we'd really want this many rows of it, or it'd be great if we could get, you know, 50% more of that, right. uh, you know, if in, in order to give you something that we feel really, um, you know, uh, solid about in terms of, of the results. And and that's, so that'll take me in a, only because I feel like we're on a roll and I, I've, all, we're just touching on it, but I've still missed out on the last question I had for you, which will be brief. Um, okay. and, and you've been in both worlds, research and business, um, big business as well as startup, this world of leveraging machine learning in big data, um, you know, pretty wild west, right? Uh, you know, the, the kinds of places you're pulling data from, man, that's wacky and wild. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the kinds of information you're having to pull in, that's wacky and wild. The, the number of PhD teams that have cool programs, you know, man, that's wacky and wild. It feels to me like there's a lot of companies um, – that, that, that really have machine learning approaches that maybe could apply across the board, and, and a lot of them do early on, right? Like, we, we can crunch financial information, but if, if you do this stuff, we can make sense of that too. And there's nothing wrong with that because a, a good machine learning algorithm maybe, maybe can apply itself in different ways, but it seems as though the field is not where, let's say, CRMs or marketing automation software or point-of-sale software or anything like that is to the point where you can really compare vendors in any way because so much of this is still being, you know, formulated and, and, and the, the sense hasn't been made of it in, in, a, in a larger industrial kind of a context. How do you see the industry evolving in this world of big data and machine learning? Do you, do you think we'll get to a point where we have big companies with specific niches? Do you think we'll have companies that really apply, you know, across all verticals because machine learning is able to do that? Do you see people solidifying themselves in, in individual silos just for marketing purposes? Where do you see the next 10 years taking us in this exciting world of, of machine learning as it applies to big data? Yeah, that's a good question, Dan. Um, 
You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's a bit of a wild west right now, and there are lots of startups that are kind of doing things their own way and uh, inventing new paradigms of solving problems. Um, and over the next 10 years, a lot of that, or even five years, a lot of that will consolidate down into, you know, oh, okay, we do it this way. Uh, the way, the same way that in 2001, the idea of the semantic web was this new wild west thing, and, and now it's just sort of, you know, business as usual, here's how you do it, and there are O'Reilly books on it and that sort of thing. Um, so, so I think, you know, things are going to go in, two big ways. I mean, we're going to continue to see a lot of innovation on this and uh, a lot of companies succeeding and uh, a lot of others sort of falling by the wayside, uh, partly because of technology and partly just frankly because of uh, business plans that yep. you know, didn't pan out the way that they, they thought they would. Um, you know, so as we saw in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, I think you're going to see um, some companies that are now part of that wild west uh, evolve into, you know, major metropolitan hubs of information gathering, and um, you know the way that we saw Google and Yahoo, for example, turn from small startups into much larger companies, um, and that's certainly going to happen around sort of this this idea of, of, of general AI, which is being able to take information from multiple structured data sources and uh, um, images and that sort of thing and do something with it like, you know, drive a car from A to B or, or uh, get packages, you know, from Amazon to your home or something like that. Um, and so, so that's one area that I think you will definitely see uh, some new big players, and then also some consolidation in terms of, you know, it's no secret that Google and Facebook and Amazon, all these people are acquiring talent and acquiring companies and trying to establish them. So not to ignore IBM, of course, IBM is really, really big in this. Um, but trying to sort of, you know, get their tentacles in as many of these, uh, you know, uh, bodies of water as they can. Yes. Um so, so there's that, and then there's also sort of, you know, the, the, the role that we're in of more of, uh, I mean, it's still artificial intelligence, but it's more sort of language understanding. Um, people sometimes uh, characterize us as a text analytics company, and I'm reluctant to use that term because text analytics is one of those things that has sort of, a, as you were saying, a very established way of doing things, and people understand when they get into text analytics what they are going to be getting out of it. We feel like we're doing something very different, which is understanding, um, you know, language in the same way that humans understand it. And what, what, uh, what we call human capacity, cognitive computing. Uh, and that means being able to understand and manipulate symbols, in particular linguistic symbols, uh, in the same way that, that people do. Um, and that, I think, you know, when, when we get to the point where we see exponential growth in, you know, the research and the um, bringing that into the market uh, is going to vastly change uh, the way that we're doing everything, the way that we yep. interact with devices, uh, the way that we understand data, um, the uh, our relationship with uh, the Internet. Uh, all that has a huge potential for disruption when we are able to understand language uh, using machine the same way that people and and you know I, I guess yeah no one knows the time frames and all that but it, it's without question um, you know uh, a different a different human technology relationship um, without a doubt 
do, do you yeah. do you foresee do you foresee um, individual companies barring themselves into particular applications? Let's say, hey, we do machine learning for big data in the domain of finance or in the domain of security or in the domain of you know for for you folks at least for today it's it's making sense of unstructured text data which has a lot of applications i mean all over the place it's 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 not which is fine but it's not industry specific it's sort of application specific but that's how it's being marketed and that's where you're focusing do you right. see people sort of owning verticals or owning you know horizontals which might be like applications you know things that work across industries but are a particular facet of that do you see a lot of people with every kind of tool in the toolbox that that grow to be big companies like in other words, do you, do you see niching for marketing or for technology reasons being something that helps this this current globular world, you know, have some big buildings like the Googles and the IBMs of the world? Right. My opinion, Dan, on that is that um, it's going to be a lot more important to do that for marketing and business reasons, as you say, than it is from a technology standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think. You know, the technology is something that is going to be general enough that, you know, if you were a company that wanted to say you are doing it across all kinds of verticals, you could certainly do that. Um, but it's going to be important for you, you know, you to market to a certain segment and also for there's going to be an advantage to companies that are able to get, you know, the most amount of data within a particular segment. Yep, yep. Um, and that's going to have a profound impact on um, how good your system does at understanding things within that particular vertical. Uh, and so, okay, so yeah, interesting. And I've heard this same notion mirrored previously. Uh, technology reasons actually not as as important often for uh, uh, you know the, the the real success of the company, but in terms of you know business reasons, you know Coca Cola probably could make a whole lot of products because of how many resources they have, and they might be really good at it, but they're known as the beverage guys. Even if it was profitable, if they start to kind of flub with that brand, they're probably flubbing with their big game, you know, even, sure. even though they even though they damn well could nail so many manufacturing and distribution problems in so many industries, um, you know, that they might just not want to touch it. Same thing in, in this domain. Sure, they might want to own all the info in one particular vertical, but the technology will be general and they might just have to say we focus on X just so that they're known for something. Very, very curious. Well, I suppose absolutely. We'll, we'll have to see what the future holds. Yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you take McDonald's, they could make tacos. They've yeah. got the raw materials for it. But, yeah. you know, they make hamburgers. That's, so that's it. Uh, I, think, I think the same is going to be true of, uh, you know, where things are going with uh, the business of artificial intelligence. Just, just how these these human brains, unfortunately, Patrick, we, we can't drink in as much uh, information as... as uh, as some of these these uh, uh, synthetic machines are now, and we, we unfortunately associate a certain logo with a certain kind of thing, and that yeah. can get messed up for us. So yeah. anyway, as long as people are people, it sounds like those classic you know positioning and focus in the marketplace problems will still be real, and I suppose only time will tell, Patrick, where that shakes out. I very much appreciate you sharing your insight today, both on the science side and on the business side. Thank you for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, Patrick. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, 
researcher perspectives and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.